Let's open the prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is such a such a privilege uh, to be able to come together to worship you, to learn about you, and uh, Lord, I just uh, I just pray that you would um, help us to to understand you more deeply, uh, Lord, as we just marvel at who you are, at your at your grace and your mercy toward us and your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, you are just beyond comprehension and so far above us. We are so unworthy to get a glimpse of who you are. Uh, but, Lord, you in your great mercy have um, have shown us who you are. And, Lord, I just, I just pray that, that that would be a, a precious thing to us, that it would be something we desire to look into more deeply and Lord that it would change us that we would um, live our lives differently based on uh, what we see of, of who you are and uh, Lord just guide us in the study and, and bless this time pray in Christ's name amen all right so this morning we're going to talk about mercy and grace um, definitely very related to the love of God, which is what we had been talking about. Um, but still worth um, spending a little bit of time talking about some of the particulars of, of those things. Uh, but they are definitely very related to each other, so we're going to take them kind of as a unit. Um, but they do have slightly different definitions. So how do we define those? We've got the words mercy and grace. How would we define those? Mercy is uh, not giving someone uh, the punishment they deserve. Okay. That's very good. Grace is giving a gift or a reward almost to someone who has done, who not only doesn't deserve it, but has done things, uh, basically done things to not deserve them. Okay. Okay. Often grace is that way, um, but I'm, I would actually make the case that that's not always the way grace is used. Because um, sometimes, um, well, I mean, does anybody know like the classic definition of grace? Um, what we often hear when people teach on it? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. That's the one I'm thinking of. So, um, yeah, grace is unmerited favor. Uh, one thing. Um, that I would ask is uh, just to just to highlight this difference. Um, consider um, before the fall, as Adam and Eve are in the garden, they've been created, uh, and God has seen everything that He's made, and He says that it's very good. Um, is God expressing any mercy towards Adam and Eve? He's not, because they haven't done anything to deserve punishment, and so withholding deserved punishment is not something that's that, that actually applies. But what about grace? Is God being gracious to them? Yes. At this point, they haven't done really anything at all, so right. he's giving them good things without... Mm-hmm. Them having yes. merited them. Yes. So they are receiving favor that they have not merited. God didn't have to do all the good things He did to provide for them um, in the garden. Um, and so, while uh, Mark, you're absolutely correct that 
that especially in our case, grace is something that we demerit um, by our own actions. Um, we can speak of grace in a way where we're talking about somebody who, they haven't demerited anything, but they're still receiving grace because they're getting something that they, they haven't done anything to deserve. Is that, is that all clear on our definitions? Um, so, and these, these concepts are definitely tied together uh, frequently in Scripture. Uh, one, a couple well-known passages. Um, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 says that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so there we see uh, the idea of, uh, of God's grace being given to us um, and that our, our salvation is by his mercy. Um, definitely very closely connected ideas there. Um, and then also uh, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so there we see again, God is rich in mercy, um, and um, he is saving us by his grace. Um, one thing that is interesting um, is, um, and I just recently learned this, that um, that the the word for mercy um, in the I'm not sure if it's the Hebrew or the Greek, um, but it it has the idea of of misery in the the background of the word, um, and it's very much the idea of um, you give mercy to somebody because you you look upon them and you see they are in misery, um, and so it's you know. You could give them what they deserve, right? I mean, that would be justice, right? Um, but you see them in their misery, and that there's a compassion involved with that. And um, so mercy is applied. Um, how does mercy um, relate to justice and grace when given to those who have demerited it? How does that work? Most of the time, they would be opposed to justice. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be that way, but right. uh, if you're giving, if you're not, if someone deserves a punishment and you're not giving it, that's, them, well, that's injustice right there. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. And yet, on the flip side, oftentimes with mercy, there does somebody does pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so justice is met, mm-hmm. you know. So to the person who's receiving it, what Ben said is, you know, very true. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't have to pay for that, but but right. someone usually does. Regardless. Right. Right. So yeah. So the the important thing there is for it not to be contrary to justice. Justice has to be satisfied somehow. Um, and we talked about that when we talked about the justice of God. We talked about the fact that Christ was the substitute, um, and that enabled God to be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
And so there we have a way for justice and mercy um, to meet. Now, one thing that's very important, um, well, I guess maybe I should, I should ask the question. Um, can mercy and grace be required? Um, does God owe these things to us? I mean, it's part of his very nature, right? We're talking about the attributes of God. He is gracious. He is merciful. Um, does God owe us grace and mercy? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to expand on that? I see lots of lots of <laughs> no's, and that's that's good. I mean, it's it would that would be contradictory in a lot of ways, going along with the definition mm-hmm. of grace and mercy that we've talked about, especially grace, unmerited favor, mm-hmm. and mercy. Uh, this is the punishment they deserve, and we're being merciful instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't be required. I can see how someone would try and make that. Ar- I know people have tried mm-hmm. sure. to make that argument because that is part of the nature of God. But it's not the whole nature of God. And I right. think that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. God is also just. He's righteous. He's holy. And he's not going to go contrary to those that is true. attributes. That is true. Well, and if it was required, it would be required for all. Mm-hmm. And it's laid out in Scripture very clearly that he will give mercy to some Mm-hmm. and justice to others mm-hmm. and if it was required it would if it was required there would be no need for our faith mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um allusion there to uh, to Romans uh 9 15 and 16 I mean it's it, the concept pops up you know multiple times in scripture but um at least it is similar to what you were just saying there uh where it um Paul says that, that he says to Moses, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So what do we see there? nothing that we can do it's all the mercy and compassion that is given is all through him and by his will mm-hmm. yeah so he has the freedom right to show mercy to whomever he chooses to show mercy nobody can say to God well you showed mercy to some people therefore you have to show mercy to all people um, it is very much something that God is free uh, in his uh, in his bestowing of of mercy and of grace. Um, another passage, uh, Romans eleven five and six. Um, Paul says, "So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace." What does that mean? Well, grace, by its very definition, is an undeserved gift. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if it uh, was something that would be required, it would no longer be grace. Or if it was something that was earned, it would 
no longer be grace. I mean, the, the, the mere definition of grace and mercy right. just does away with this whole idea of mm-hmm. expectation. Right, exactly. You know, otherwise, those things cease to be what they say they are. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. Um, if any of you have ever heard uh, R.C. Sproul talk about these things, you know, he, he will point out the fact that, like, as soon as you start saying that, that God is obligated to give these things, you're not talking about grace and mercy anymore. You know, that's just you've you've switched topics because just by definition, um, these are things that God is not obligated to give uh, because yeah, it is just built into the definition. Uh, grace is unmerited favor, so it can't be demanded. Uh, mercy is not giving the punishment that you deserve, um, and it's just it's just by definition, um, it is. Uh, it is something that cannot be demanded. So there's some thoughts on mercy and grace, just beyond what we've talked about with the love of God. How do we apply these things? How does this affect our lives? How does this affect our worship? Sense of gratitude. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yes. Yeah. Rightly. The Heidelberg Catechism kind of goes through that uh-huh. pattern where they talk about, you know, uh-huh. here's the condition we're in, Christ has saved us, and therefore we now live holy lives out of gratitude towards mm-hmm. Him. Yep. Um, and that, I mean, that kind of should shape how we see our living, our worship, everything. Mm-hmm. A profound sense of gratitude for everything He's done. Right. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I mean, it, it definitely should. It just if you think about it, it's like if you really stop and think about what we deserve. You just think about you know your own sin, and it's, we were joking about the microphone, knowing your thoughts. And it's like I mean, I know I know my thoughts, I, and they're not they're not all holy. Um, and um, I mean, just when I think about you know all the wickedness that's that's in my life, and my thoughts, and my heart, and I think that God, in His grace and mercy has said, you will not receive the punishment you deserve. You are adopted as my son and will spend eternity in glory with me. I mean, that's just, how could, how could we be anything but thankful in light of those things? Anything else? I think also the fact, kind of going back to what you were talking about before, he always received from the yes person he will not. But for those whom he has have mercy on. He has given all these wonderful promises about his grace and his mercy, how he will never leave us or forsake us. He, we are united to him for eternity. And, uh, it gives us a sense of assurance that uh, that's never going to go away. It's not suddenly going to say, oh no, wait, I'm going to punish you. Right. Sorry, getting into the unchanging nature of God right there. Right. Bit. Well, and, yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's, it's easy to bleed into other uh, attributes, but yeah, I mean, if we didn't merit it in any way, then we never have to worry that, you know, that somehow we're going to screw that up. You know, it's, it is all by God's grace. And so as wicked as we are, um, if we are a recipient of God's grace, we never have to worry that that will be taken away. I think, you know, there's a sense in which we have a temptation to think of ourselves probably more highly than we ought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we truly meditate upon these things, because I think our flesh and the devil and even the world 
you know, sort of wants to redefine grace and mercy in those ways, you know, distort them and make them what they're really not. And we can actually believe that, but as we really are confronted with truly what Scripture says about grace and mercy, it can, uh, you know, bring us down a notch or two. So as we come into the presence of God to worship, you know, we're not so full of ourselves, but we're really, our minds are more full of the glory of God and His great work in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely humbles us. Um, because, I, I mean, you know, a common misconception amongst uh, unbelievers is that Christianity is, you know, we're the people that have decided to follow a certain set of rules and we're better than everybody else because we follow these rules. And that's that's what Christianity is. Um, and, I mean, if that's your attitude, then, uh, you know, that's you'd be very proud. It's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing and everybody else is not. And look at me, I'm so great. Um, but if we understand Christianity the way it is, and particularly in light of the grace and mercy of God, then it's like, I'm just as wicked as any other person. Um, but God, not because of anything that I've done, but just because of his grace and mercy, has saved me out of that, then I'm, that should be very humbling. And we should not be puffing ourselves up at all. Um, and so I think that's a, that is a, an excellent application of this. It's like if uh, somebody was adopted by a king uh-huh. into royalty, uh, the king has made it clear that everybody should treat this adopted son as royalty. But if that son began to take pride in his own, mm-hmm. I am I am royal, you know, like uh-huh. I did this, right? Uh, yeah, he'd be kind of losing sight of the fact that he was given mm-hmm. grace and brought into that yeah. family. Yeah, yep. Uh, yep, that's a good analogy. And, uh, yeah, it's just something that I've thought about, because in, in, in one way, um, the grace of God is like, uh, in one way, it's almost like this—I ter- mean, this terrifying like thing that we really don't deserve it, and, right. uh, and it was just—it was given to us. It was put upon us. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah. No, nothing else in the world works that way. No. The 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 world functions on you know you you get what you deserve basically at least to some degree, but just to receive so much goodness from God completely undeserved is yeah, terrifying I guess it's, it's certainly something that's just completely contrary to our experience anything else? What, what other applications do we have? how should we treat those who sin against us in light of these things? We have been given grace and need to extend grace to those around us. Not only because we've given it, we've been given it, but to give an example of what Christ has done for us. That is absolutely true. I know um, one thing I was thinking of was the the uh, the parable of the of the unforgiving servant. You know how. He owed his master money, and his master said, "Pay your debt." And he's like, "Have mercy on me. Let you know, I'll pay you back." 
And the master says, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to forgive all the debt. But then the servant goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him just a tiny bit amount of money and demands that he pay him back. And when that servant pleads for mercy, he says, nope, no mercy. I demand you pay me. Um, that was somebody who didn't understand um, the, the true value of mercy and how it should affect him. And I mean, that's Jesus' point in telling the parable, is that, it, that this person just, it doesn't make any sense for them to have received such great mercy and then not express that mercy to other people. Um, so it should definitely be a motivation for us since God has been so gracious to us to be gracious to others. And yes, and I like your, your added point there. It is also um, an expression, an example, a demonstration of the forgiveness that we have in Christ that, that they get to see. So, Any other thoughts on mercy and grace before we move on? All right. Well, we're going to talk about truth and faithfulness next. And these are, again, related terms. Um, truth is can be looked at in a few different ways, but how would we how would we define these? Uh, that God is a true God, a God of truth, and that God is faithful. Well, let's say God is a true God. What He says, He will do, um, and as being faithful because He's truthful. If He gives us a promise, mm-hmm. it will come to completion. Mm-hmm. We may not see it in our lifetime. We may not. I mean, obviously, there were promises given to the early church mm-hmm. that we are still awaiting today. Um, but He will fulfill his promises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely a very good definition of, of faithfulness, that God is going to fulfill his promises. Everything he says he will do, he will do. Um, can we say anything more about that God is a true God, a God of truth? Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes beyond just the fact that he is says true things mm-hmm. uh, he is in some ways the definition right. yeah I mean he is kind of I guess to say it one way he is like the ground of reality um, everything that is true is true because it comes from him um, and he is the true God in opposition to all of the false gods um, Jeremiah 10.10 10 says But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. So he's the true God. He's the living God. He's the one who's actually real. Uh, There's often you see um, all these things in the Old Testament about all these false gods. Um, And... They're not, they're not really real. They're not true. They can't speak and make things happen. Um, just a, a vast distinction. Um, there's a, a really good passage in Isaiah that, that covers this um, and shows the, 
just the folly of mankind and not being able to discern what is true, to basically to have a lie in front of them and just be blind to that fact. Um, so this is, this is kind of a lengthy passage. It's Isaiah 44, uh, 9 through 20, but it just really um, brings this, this notion out in a, in a way that is almost comical, um, but just, I don't know, I, I think it's important. So starting in verse 9, uh, it says, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Uh, their witness uh, neither s- their witnesses neither see nor know uh, that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth, and they shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the colts. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars. He chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar uh, in the uh, and the rain nourishes it. Uh, then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts, he roasts it and is satisfied. Uh, also, he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern. For he has shut their eyes, so that they cannot see, and their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burn in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And I shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? So it's it's an amazing contrast there. um, You see um, between the living and true God and a God that is created by somebody who gets tired and has to rest and eat, and he's making a god out of things where it's like he uses part of it to make a god and part of it to do his his daily activities. Um, and you know, obviously, this isn't that common, especially in the West in our day, that people will actually like fashion idols and worship them. Um, but I mean, in the past, this was something that, uh, and you know, in some parts of the world, it still happens, but. Um, in the past, this was something that was very common, uh, but yet the, the people are just blind to the fact that this, like, there's no way that this can be a true god. You made it yourself, and you used half of the material to cook your food. Um, so it is um, just amazing to see um, just the just the opposition to the truth that these people 
are experiencing, and they can't they can't see that they're they have a, a lie in their right hand. So definitely one aspect of the of the fact that God is true is the fact that He is the true living God as opposed to um, false gods. Um, just to just to stop and ask for a little application of that, how how should we apply that particular thing? That that our God is the true God, particularly in our modern and postmodern society that we live in today. How should we how should we interact with um, unbelievers in this respect? Because this I mean it's just. I'm trying to get an answer from you without without like just giving it to you. So, uh, well, don't don't you think there's a sense in which as we we you know we're sort of in the world market, <laughs> and it's like all ideas, all religions, everything is the same. It's on level playing ground, and so you know you share with me your ideas, and I'll share with you my ideas, and this totally just knocks all that apart and says no, God's truth is above all other. He he is true. He, the things he says is true, and so I, I think that uh, we have to be careful that it doesn't cause us to become proud, mm-hmm. you know. But I think there is a sense of confidence that the things that we say uh, are on a different level than the other ideas of the world. And so, as Paul talks about, you know, smashing the arguments of mm-hmm. of others and and things like that, that that's the kind of confidence that a Christian comes mm-hmm. that the Spirit of God is at work in the things that are are true. And so the things we speak are the words of life and not just, you know, another opinion. Right. So. And, and metaphorically today, people are still guilty of the same contradictory idols. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, even if they don't fashion them with their hands, they're making ideas up and stuff like that. And they're saying, this is great. It solves every problem in the world. And it came from me, a finite being who doesn't mm-hmm. know everything. Uh, and there is a sense in which you can show like Isaiah show these contradictions say well no and and this this comes from God and he made everything he knows everything he can say to you who are you oh man were you there when I made this or when I formed the mountains right in today's society there is no absolute truth I mean the idea of you think that's true, that's fine, I think this is true, you know, we can go on our way, you know, everything's relative, Mm -hmm. and even the church gets caught up in that sometimes themselves, you know, you go to a Bible study, and what's that, what's that passage mean to you? Right. You go around the room, it means eight things to eight different people. Right. There's one truth in scripture, Mm -hmm. and it's the job of the one studying scripture to find out what that one truth is mm-hmm. because God doesn't speak in two different right. ways in one passage. Right, yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, the, that's, that's a very common philosophy of our age is basically that either there there is no truth or truth is just completely inaccessible. And so whatever you say about reality, it's like, oh, you know, you got your opinion, you got your opinion, and we can never really know what's really true. Um, but as Christians, we need to understand that we actually are on the side of truth. 
that the God of the Bible is uh, a true God. And um, it isn't just a, a matter of opinion. Um, and when we defend the truth, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's just kind of nice. It's like, if you're trying to defend a lie, then it's really hard work. If you're defending the truth, I mean, it doesn't mean that there's no work, but it's like, you, you basically, you've got all the tools right there. If you're, if you're on the side of truth, then, um, and that's another thing, is you don't have to be afraid of the evidence. Um, that's, that's one thing that I see um, amongst Christians sometimes, is there almost seems to be like a fear that Christianity isn't true. And so they don't want to like delve into the evidence very much for fear that they might find out that it's not true, and they'd rather just, well, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna believe it, you know, whether it's true or not. Um, but we can have the confidence that it actually is true, and we don't have to be afraid of the evidence because if we look at the evidence, it's going to support Christianity, um, because Christianity is true, because God is true, and so if you look at, if you look at the evidence it's going to support uh, who God is um, and the, the the whole of the Christian faith. So, I mean, that gives us great confidence and should give us great boldness. Uh, but as Pastor Rick said, we don't want that to turn into pride. Um, we want to be very humble in the way that we talk to people about these things. Um, but, in a sense, because it's, because God is true, he's beyond us. It's like, yeah, look, it's not me. It's God. God is the one who's true. Um, if I if I point to him who is true, that's not me boasting in myself and my own intelligence. That's, uh, that's just pointing to reality. Um, I mean, the mathematician is not proud when he, when he says that 2 plus 2 is 4. He's just pointing out the, the reality there. So. Any other thoughts on that part of it? And we've got to be, one thing about the truth is we've got to be consistent mm-hmm. with our theology. And one thing I've talked to you last week about this Catholic that, guy, that gentleman I've been talking to, one thing the Catholics obviously, they push works. Uh-huh. You know, they believe in faith, they believe in justification, but they also believe in works. Mm-hmm. Um, but Protestants, when dealing with Catholics, sometimes tries to shy away from works. Mm-hmm. Which we're not saved by works, but we are called to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul says, and Christ says, you know, repent and do works according to repentance. Mm-hmm. So we got to make sure that we're balanced mm-hmm. in our truth. Right. We we want to we, we believe in you got to believe on Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and grace, but we also need to be balanced and make sure that we speak the whole truth of Scripture because mm-hmm. it does tell us. That it's not we're saved and then we can go on however we want to go on and live our lives because we're now we're secure. Maybe our truth has to be, you know, some people want to focus on certain aspects of God, you know, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, but He's also a just God. And we got to watch that whenever we speak of our Lord, we need to make sure we speak of God as a whole and not try to pick out our ones we like more and that's all we're going to talk about yeah okay. kind of goes with um, 
can't remember what, what the name of it is, but one of the attributes of God is, is, is simplicity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that God is made up of several, all these different attributes. All these different attributes, and that they describe different parts of him. He is this way, right. and they all just kind of flow together, and mm -hmm. it's kind of like what you were saying earlier. They, they all, it's kind of hard to pick them out right. because it's connected to this and that and right. so on and so forth. But that is good for us to realize because it is easy to think about the grace of God or maybe to think about the justice of God in certain areas only, but mm -hmm. not in all areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, and, and uh, that goes to we need to be reading the whole scripture. We need to be um, looking at all of it to understand the things and not just picking out the passages we particularly like. Or something. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, those are good points, and I'm I'm glad you guys brought those things up. I, I should have had something along those lines in my notes, and my notes were shorter on this before. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point because it's like because God is a God of truth, we as Christians should be very concerned about truth, and as we study Scripture, we should seek to study the whole of Scripture and to understand it all and fit it all together properly. Um, Again, I mean, sometimes you guys undoubtedly hear my pet peeves as, as I teach, and I hope that isn't irritating, but <laughs> one of my pet peeves is people who are teachers and who don't seem that concerned with truth. Um, because there's times when I hear somebody teach something, and then I will approach them afterwards, and I will question whether what they said was accurate or not. Because, you know, from my perspective, it's not. And so I will try to say, hey, you know, th this might not have been right, let's, let's look at this. And I try to do it graciously, I, I mean, I can't guarantee that I always do. But, um, and you know, sometimes I get wonderful responses where, you know, people are like, oh, I, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you pointed that out to me. Uh, but I have on occasion gotten responses where it's like, ah, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're right, but you know, no big deal. You know, and I'm just like, you're, you're teaching the word of God, you know, is, if you make a mistake, that's, I mean, it's like, to me, it's like, if, if somebody points out a mistake to me in what I was teaching, it's like, I'm very glad that they did that, but it's also just like really scary. It's like, oh my goodness, I was, I was teaching the word of God and I said something that wasn't true. I mean, I'm sure I do that. I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm, you know, I'm a, a sinful human being who is far too lazy in his studying and um, and clouded in his thinking due to sin, and so I make mistakes, and I'm sure I speak things that are untrue. But, um, but one thing that it we should have is a great desire to be um, speaking the truth when we speak about God. I mean, we don't speak about anything really, um, but because God is a God of truth, um, we want to emulate that, and we want to be people of truth, and so. Um, we need to, to try to be diligent to be as truthful and as holistic as possible, understanding all the scripture and putting it all together. So I'm glad you guys uh, jumped in with that. And also with that, that's the scripture being true. When we teach, scripture illustrates scripture. So that's where we go for our illustrations of scripture. You know, the idea that if I'm teaching on one passage of the Bible, I'm not covering the whole scripture. Well, there's the whole Bible that will speak to any, almost any passage of scripture. Mm -hmm. right. So when we when we teach, we illustrate. You go outside the Bible for an illustration, then you, you deal with something that could be in there. 
Yeah. Uh, there's always a, a yeah. problem. I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think, especially with illustrations, I think it, it can actually be helpful to go outside of Scripture. But um, ultimately, you know, Scripture needs to be our final authority. And we don't want to, like, try to derive biblical truths from outside of Scripture. I mean, even that is, like, I mean, there is general revelation, so you can you can derive some truths from outside of Scripture as well. But I mean, it is a it is a proper caution. We should be very careful that Scripture is the thing that um, that basically puts the restraints on on what we're talking about. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about God's faithfulness. God um, being one who does what He says He will do. Um, I mean, again, this this flows from his truthfulness, um, but it definitely has the idea of, like, in the future, he said he's going to do it, he will do it. Um, Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So, rhetorical question there, right? It's like, has God said something and then not going to do it? No. That's the way man is, right? I mean, uh, even the best of us, we will say we're going to do something and then and we'll fail to do it. Uh, but God is not a man. He's not like us. Um, and if he says he's going to do something, he will do it. Um Deuteronomy uh, 7, verses 9 and 10, says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, a faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. So there we see God's faithfulness applied in a couple of areas, right? We see God's faithfulness in his mercy, right? Uh, his covenant uh, kindness toward us. He has promised to be faithful in that. Uh, but he's also faithful in his justice, right? Those who disobey him, those who uh, rebel against him, he will be faithful to punish. Right? I mean, that just ties into the justice. Um, and again, that would that would be all of our lot, except for the fact of God's mercy and grace toward us. His covenant mercy toward us is the thing that uh, causes us to escape from that. Um, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And there you can see that's the, that's the, the verse where, you know, the, the famous hymn, uh, Great is your, Great is thy faithfulness, I guess is what it is. Um, that's, that's where that, you know, that's where that comes from. And that's just a very true concept. Um, and that should that came from Lamentations too. Just, yeah. It's, What's that? That came from Lamentations. It's the you know the it's a pretty dark uh, book. That is Bible. true. <laughs> that is true. It is a. I hadn't really thought about that. That is an interesting contrast. Yeah. yeah. It's funny to just pull 
pulled that out and not hit you know obviously you can't read the whole thing or anything but just knowing right. the context of uh-huh. that passage right kind of amazing well and that, and that kind of goes with I mean just the faithfulness of God no matter what the circumstances are mm-hmm. we can hold fast to his faithfulness no matter how bad it is right which it was terrible right yeah 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 um, and I mean, you do see, uh, you know, as the as the Israelites are going through uh, the exile to Babylon, um, you see at least certain of them who are very much clinging to God's faithfulness and His promise to uh, restore them, um, and I and they even understand that it's God's faithfulness to His promise to punish Israel uh, when they reject Him that has led to this happening. So um, God's faithfulness is very much tied into that, but it is definitely interesting to think. It's like, it's it's uh, it's in the midst of just describing just all sorts of woe um, that God's faithfulness is praised here. And um, Ben was mentioning just you know that it is in the when things are happening that are bad um, that we can see or that we that we rely on God's faithfulness. First uh, Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen um, says uh, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there we see. God's promise that as we face temptations in our lives um, that God is not God is not putting us in a situation that's beyond what we're able uh, to handle by his grace he is being faithful to us uh, at all times um, and we as we face temptations that's something that we should think about is that God is God is faithful He's not. He's not sticking me in a, a situation that is beyond um, what I'm capable of handling by the grace of God. Um, similarly, Second Timothy, sorry, Second Thessalonians, three three. Uh, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Again, these are these are all just similar things, just like the trials that we go through as Christians. Um, over and over again, we are told God is faithful, um, and this should be a comfort to us. Um, and then Second Timothy, uh, chapter two, uh, verses eleven through thirteen. Um, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him if we deny him he also will deny us if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself so there we see kind of both sides of it right we see the promise for those whom God preserves um, that uh, they will live with God, they will reign with God, um, and we see 
the promise that those who ultimately reject God, um, that God is going to deal justly with them. Right? And then on top of that, we see even when you look at the faithlessness of man and God punishing man because of his faithlessness, does that affect God's faithfulness at all? No. God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So what else is God faithful to do? He's faithful to protect us from sin and he's faithful to his promises to save us. Anything else? Well, he's faithful to he sustains all of creation mm-hmm. and uh, you know, gives us all that, that we need. Yeah. Yeah, he um, he upholds creation, and you know the Psalms talk extensively about you know just the idea of him being faithful and governing the motion of the stars and the the moon and all that. And so yeah. Um, anything else? Listen, I think of the entire Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason He tells us to pray for these those particular things is because He's promised that He will re- He will accomplish them. Mm-hmm. Um, his name will be hallowed. His kingdom will come, mm-hmm. um, and uh, eventually we will fully um, do His will as it is done by the saints in heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. He gives us each day our daily bread, and so on and so forth. Right. Right. Yeah. And related to that, He uh, He promises to sanctify us. Right. Yeah. That's I mean that's along the lines of what you're talking about. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 explicitly ties that to his faithfulness. Um, verse, verse 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so there we see God is faithful to sanctify us. Um, you know, a lot of times it doesn't feel like that. Um, I know in my own life I look at my own sin and I'm like, wow, I just this, this is not going away. Uh, but God promises that He is faithful to sanctify us. Um, he is also faithful to forgive us. Um, well-known passage, First uh, John uh, chapter one, verse nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so. When we do sin, um, and we go to Him asking for forgiveness, uh, we don't have to worry that it's like, oh, this time He's not going to forgive me. He is faithful to forgive us. Yeah, I think it's obvious from everything that we've said so far, but just to, to state explicitly the obvious that if God wasn't faithful, it would essentially kind of undo all these other attributes and all just kind of unravel. If we said that, well, God is these things most of the time, right. or, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, that would be, that would right. be a major problem. Right. Uh, yeah. If, but yeah, he, he, if, he was ju- if he was only just most of the time, or, right. you know, 
truthful most of the time. Um, right. He wasn't faithful to, to these things. Yeah. 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 We. That's. I mean, that is a, a great comfort to us. Is like we we know that. I mean, he's he, again. Like, like all these attributes bleed together. You know, they're talking about the unchangeableness of God. You know, but. Um, He's not going to to ever go back on any of this stuff. So we we can have great confidence in that. Um, so applications. Um, I know we've you know kind of had some of those smattered throughout the discussion, but anything else? The faithfulness of God is a great comfort to those who are saved. It's. A uh, very scary thing for those who are outside mm-hmm. uh, of Christ, um, and so for us, I mean, we can definitely take comfort in that. Um, you mean you think of lamentations when you were talking about before. No matter what our circumstances, we can sit on the promises of God and we can stand there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also at the same time, for interacting with other believers. We have to say God is faithful. He has promised He will judge sin, and that the judgment of that sin is either upon Christ or is upon your own head. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we need to be faithful in calling them to repentance, mm-hmm. yeah. because God is a faithful God who will. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Anything else? Um, just the passage that talks about uh, letting your yes be yes mm-hmm. is really, I think, important to us. Um, I just, I know that I certainly don't. We kind of, we don't treat that as like an important thing. Oftentimes, we kind of will make commitments, even if it's just a, you know, a simple thing, like right. helping somebody move, or, you know, and then go back out. It's not, uh, it's not godly. Right. Like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we should seek to be faithful people and true people. People who, when we say something, that's actually what we need. Yeah. Anything else? Okay. Um, well, uh, Sylvia requested an extra couple weeks on Sunday school, so you guys may know this already, but we've been extended a couple weeks, so it'd be nice we get to get to be a little more thorough. So um, anyway, so I guess we have four more weeks now, I think, of Sunday school. So of course we'll, we'll not have Sunday school on Easter, but so, but all right, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that you are the true God, that you are a God of truth, and that you are a God of faithfulness, and we can always uh, count on you to to do everything that you've promised, and that you are a God of mercy and of grace, and Lord, you do not uh, treat us according to our sin, but through Christ, you have adopted us, you have given us your love mercy and uh, Lord I just pray that, that as we live our lives we would seek to uh, to emulate uh, your attributes that we would we would truly seek to be like you um, and Lord just that we would be thankful to you and worship you as you deserve uh, Lord I pray that as we as we go into the worship service that or just that 
that we would delight in who you are. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, for Pastor Rick as he uh, delivers your word, uh, Lord, that it would be in truth and that we would receive it as such, knowing that, Lord, you speak truth to us. And Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified in all these things. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.